us pray. Father, we come together having heard your voice, having heard you, you come to us and, and, and say, man, let us be rooted. Let us root them and ground them in the height, the width, and the breadth, and the depth of our love. Father, and we just gather together, having heard your voice and, and saying amen to that. We gather together that we would be rooted and grounded in the height and the width and the breadth and the depth of your love for us, Father. We thank you for uh, opening the, the eyes of our understanding. Thank you for pouring out the spirit of wisdom and revelation that uh, the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened um, by the truth that is Jesus, that we could, uh, man, that we could just see and know your love for us and know you're always with us. Thank you, Father, that this is your desire for us, that more than anything, that you just desire to be with us, to share life with us. You desire for us to see you with us all the time, serving us with your life. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Um, the Apostle Paul talked about prophesying one to another um, in 1 Corinthians 13. And when he talked about prophesying one to another, he's not talking about tell each other your address. He's not talking about tell each other uh, the job you have or the job you might get. He's not talking about tell each other about the car you'll have or the big money you'll have or that all the wealth of the wicked is being transferred to you. That's not the kind of thing that he's talking about, right? That's the kind of thing that's born from lack, that, that, those kinds of words. What he's talking about is prophesy one to another of uh, the word that was made flesh in Jesus. He's talking about point each other to Jesus so that we can all behold our lives in the face of Jesus, right? Because everything we desire is actually found inside of Jesus, seated at the right hand of God. The life we long for, the peace we long for, the joy we long for, everything we long for is found there. The, the healing for everything that ails our lives is found there. And so what he's saying is prophesy to one another, point one another, to the, the man Jesus seated at the right hand of God, having conquered death in the flesh and having been clothed in the immortality of God. Prophesy to one another about that because the only thing that won't fail you as you walk in this world is the love of God. That's the only thing that won't fail you. Everything else will fail you. I can come and tell you a million things about your future. I can come and tell you everything about your future, about all the things that will happen in your future. And you might feel a goosebump when I tell you because you might think, wow, how can he know that? But I promise you, all the things I could tell you about your future, all your dreams I could interpret, all the things I could see in the spiritual realm would fail you in the day you encounter death in this world. You ain't going to be thinking about the things I told you about your future or the big ministry you'll have. Those things won't sustain you. But you know we'll, what will sustain you when you encounter death in this world? What will sustain you is when you behold your life hid in the man Jesus who's free from death never to be able to die again. That will fill you with the love and the joy and the peace and the kindness and the patience of God when you encounter death in this world. It won't fail you. And you won't find yourself needing a word when you encounter death. I, listen, man, it's like Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. And I always needed a word, right? But when I became a man, and that which was perfect filled me, I saw that everything I needed was contained in the love of God and what he'd done in Christ. When I was a child in the Lord, I always needed a word, right? And there's nothing wrong with giving a word. I'm not saying there's no place for a word, right? But when I was a child, I was all the time needing a word. And every time I felt lack, I needed a new word from a new person that could tell me about how my life was going to be okay. And the kind of word I wanted was them telling me about how all the things in the world would be okay. But those things never helped me. And then one day God said to me, Greg, have you ever considered the word I gave you? 
I'm like, I, I would write down the words. I mean, I was the kind of person. I got words people gave me on uh, cassette tape. Gary, you can appreciate that. And I'm not talking about because of your age. I'm talking about because of your studio experience that goes way back, you know, to recording with cassette tapes. Yeah. I'm the kind of guy that, give me that on recording. Oh, you're going to give me a word? Hold on, I'm going to record it because I got to have it. And so no one valued a word more than me. So God said, if you considered the word I gave you, Greg, and I'm busy thinking, listen, bro, if you gave me a word, I would have it recorded or written down. It would be on my mirror somewhere. And I'd be reading that thing every day. So I don't know what you're talking about, bro. And he said, now, Greg, have you considered that I gave you a word in Jesus? Have you, you're all the time wanting a word to discern your life. You're all the time wanting something that can discern what you're going through and what's going on so you can feel like you're going to be okay. You're all the time just wanting some insight into that. Have you ever considered that I came and discerned your life in the man Jesus? So you can behold it, past, present, and future. Well, that confounded my mind. And it took me years to sort out what that meant. But once that sorted itself out inside of me, that which was perfect came, which was the love of God. And what happened was, when I found myself in the midst of tribulation, I no longer needed a word. Right? Because I found myself immersed in the love of God. Because I see the word he gave me about my life in Jesus. Right? And that word started sustaining me. And it started giving me everything that I needed. And so that's the word that we all need. Glory to God. Right? And so prophesying one to another um, is talking about revealing one another's lives inside of the face of Jesus, right? Because what people need in this world is to have their lives discerned for them, and they need their lives discerned for them in the face of Jesus. Because what will happen is, if their lives can be discerned for them in the face of Jesus, they're always going to see God's with them. They're always going to see that the Father's in them and they're in the Father. They're always going to see that their life is incorruptible. They're always going to see that they have an indestructible life that has overcome the world already, that has overcome death. They're always going to see that. And so they'll always find their flesh being put to rest and their hearts kept from fear. They'll all the times find their heart being protected from lack. They'll all the times find their hearts filled with peace and love and joy. Hallelujah. That's a lengthy intro. This is how I preach for an hour and 48 minutes in South Carolina. Some of you are thinking, don't bring that nonsense back here. Don't bring your hour 48 back here, brother. <laughs> you just leave that there. Um, glory to God. Um, the prophesying one to another. There was a couple of things that it did. And it, it was for edification, exhortation, and encouragement. Right. And so today I'm going to prophesy to you guys. And the reason why I went through all that trouble is because I think the body of Christ has suffered at the hands of the poverty of our understanding for so long that we've de defined prophesying as some guy standing up and fortune telling. Right. That's not the prophetic. That's the pathetic. I'm so sorry. And I was the chief of all the guys who engaged in that. OK. But I use this language because we, we need our. Our, uh, the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened so we can start walking in that which we're already trying to believe in. It's not like I'm trying to convince you to believe in something. I'm just plopping out on the table the truth about what you've already declared you believe. And so prophesying to one another, part of it is edification, right? And so today 
we're going to have prophesying that is edification and like a teaching thing. And between this week and next week, um, it should be required learning in every Bible college in, in the world. It should be required learning for every believer in the world. It should be like Christianity 101, believer 101. You shouldn't be able to minister without knowing these things. And yet we find ourselves in the place where I don't know very many ministers that even know these things. So I'm going to try not to preach to you guys today, and I'm going to try to take it slow and repeat myself and paint a picture here and a picture there and a picture everywhere. And all the pictures will hopefully paint a picture for you and you'll you'll walk away with this. And if not, you can go and listen to it and read the notes later. But we're going to look at the, the carnal mind today um, and just define it properly. And you guys know how I do it. When I define something, I'm like, no, no, no. It's this, this, that, the other, this, that, all that, right? And so we ain't just going to talk about one part of the carnal mind. We're going to fill out the whole picture, right? And so the, the Apostle Paul um, in Romans 8, he, he says that the carnal mind is enmity against God. He, he says, to be carnally minded is death. The result of being carnally minded is that you will experience death. You will be decorated in the fruit of death. He, he says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the wisdom of the world cannot perceive God. It can't see God. It can't know God. Right, And so the carnal mind cannot comprehend God. It can't see God. We, what you could say is the carnal mind is blind. It's blind to God, and it's blind to the love of God. It can't see those things. Okay, And I, I think something that's happened in the body of Christ is we haven't really understand what the carnal mind is. Right, And yet the, the, Paul, he, a big staple of the freedom he talked about, the gospel worked in him, was the result of him being set free from the carnal mind. And so a big staple of his understanding was built on seeing what hurt man and what ailed man was something called the carnal mind. And he saw something that brought forth the carnal mind in the world and in people. And he saw how the gospel set people free from that. Well, I don't think we've really understood the carnal mind very well. I don't really think the church has even understood what happened to mankind in Adam. I don't think we've understood that very well also. And the problem with humans, when they don't understand things, I don't know if you guys realize it, but humans... Uh, function by reasoning like we we want to understand we function by understanding and so we desire to understand and so we're all the time reasoning we're all the time walking through the earth and reasoning about the things we see and reasoning about the things we encounter in the world and we're all the time wanting to know what those things mean and we're all the time deciding what those things mean and listen absent from gaining understanding from god about what's going on we ain't just going to sit there we're going to come up with our own logic to explain what we see and why we see it and what it means that we see it this way, right? And so one of the big problems for, for Christianity and not understanding uh, the carnal mind, really, and not understanding what happened to mankind in Adam and how what happened there ailed us and how the gospel is the healing of what ailed us and us not understanding those things, we've misdiagnosed the whole problem. Because we didn't just sit and say, we don't know, Lord, please show us. We decided what it all meant, right? And we come up with all our logic and all our doctrines to try to explain the dynamics that we see, right? And one of the things we came up with, because we couldn't understand that the problem was that our eye, the eye of our understanding was made sick, right? That, that's what happened in Adam, is the eye of our understanding was made sick. 
And we didn't understand that what happened in Adam was that the eye of our understanding was darkened. We didn't understand what darkened it. I mean, if it's darkened, what darkened it? We didn't even understand that was the problem, that the eye of our understanding was darkened. We most certainly didn't understand what it is that darkened the eye of our understanding, right? And, and so, listen, we never understood how it is that we found our lives and our bodies animated with darkness, right? And because we didn't understand any of those things, listen, we come up with our own doctrines. We come up with our own logic. And one of the things we came up with to try to explain these things is something called the sin nature. Right? And listen, when I talk about the sin nature, listen, the sin nature is mythical. It's a mythical sin nature that, that we created. Right? And the reason why I say mythical is, and I told these guys in the Bible study, is because no one could ever tell you really what it is. No one could really ever tell you how it worked. And they couldn't really tell you how you could be free from it. And so that's why I say it was mythical. And listen, I don't know if you guys realize that I'm the kid that asks questions, right? Because, no, 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 I don't believe anything anybody says. I don't even believe God when I think he told me. I grill God, like, are you sure? You guys think I'm joking. Listen, man, I wrestle with God over the things I think he says, because maybe I'm hearing myself, and maybe it ain't him. And so I need to know, what are you talking about? And so one of the things that's happened, because we lack understanding about the carnal mind, and we lack understanding about what happened to mankind in Adam, is we misdiagnose the problem as some mythical sin nature. Mythical, right? That means it's not real, right? And the reason is isn't real, because when I ask people to tell me, what is it? I never got a good answer. How does it work? I never got a good answer. Well, how can I be free from it? Well, no, you can't, right? And so that's why I say it isn't real. And the, and the best I got through that whole process, this is the best explanation I got of the sin nature. No, no, no. You're just inherently evil and wicked. You're inherently sinful. You're inherently a worm. And you're just condemned to be a worm in the sight of God all your days. Your heart is ugly and despicable. And that's the best answer I got for the sin nature. But no one could ever tell you how you could be free for the longest time. And, and in fact, it was, no, you know, you can't be free. Right? And they would point to Romans 7. And they would say, you see, Paul couldn't even be free. And we don't realize it, but the whole gospel is the declaration of let my people go. And then we come and explain the gospel as if we won't ever be free. What? And then we're all like, oh, hallelujah, we've got a sin nature. And then you have very popular ministers sitting on TV telling people, before you were born again, your nature was ugly and despicable and heinous. Please quote a verse that says that. And then some people came along, hallelujah, and, and they said, oh, wait a second. They were still wrong. Yes, it's true we have a sin nature. They were wrong about that. The problem is the sin nature, but they at least started coming along and saying, no, no, but in Jesus we can be free from the sin nature. Hallelujah. Oh, you feel relief at first. You're like, thank you, Jesus. I don't have a sin nature anymore. And so we gather around the relief we feel over being delivered from our evilness. Right? And that, that's okay for a little while. But then all of a sudden, there's a big problem. We're still doing the same things we did <laughs> that we did before when we had a sin nature. We're doing the same things after, supposedly, we don't have a sin nature that we were doing before. 
Well, instead of all the ministers that taught we have a sin nature coming together and saying maybe we were wrong, maybe that's not the real problem, well, then they build the doctrine to explain that whole dynamic. They call it spirit, soul, and body. And they came and said, no, no, no. The reason why you're still doing all the things you did when you had a sin nature, even though you don't have a sin nature anymore, is because only your spirit man has been made perfect, don't you know? And so that's why you're still doing all the same things. I hate to break it to people. That don't make sense either. Neither do you find that anywhere in the scriptures. You see, but that's human beings that we function by understanding. And absent getting our understanding from God and what is actually taught in the scriptures, we're going to create our own understanding. And then we're going to run wild with it, right? And then what will happen is, is we're always left shadow boxing, right? Shadow boxing the mythical sin nature. You're fighting it all the time, but it isn't really there, right? And you're using your spirit, soul, and body understanding, your knowledge about spirit, soul, and body to try and fight all the horrible things you feel about yourself because you still see yourself doing all the things that you did before when you were just an evil, disgusting worm. And you're still doing them even though you're not supposed to be an evil, disgusting worm anymore. And you're trying to believe that you're beautiful to God even though you still see all the things that made you evil before in your life now. And you're using some spirit, soul, and body teaching to try to convince yourself that you're beautiful to God because you're saying, no, 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 my spirit spirit man is perfect hallelujah i felt relief at that at first because it, it no no you're not evil okay but then i had a problem because when i look in the mirror i don't see a spirit there i see a body that didn't do nothing for my body it didn't do anything to put my flesh to rest it, and it actually never did believing that my spirit man was made perfect never did anything to set me free from the works of the flesh It never did any of it. And so we were ever learning, but never coming into the knowledge of the truth. And no one was ever learning more than me. I was always trying to learn. Because I always just wanted to know God since I was a little kid from a pure heart. I just wanted to know God. So I was always seeking God, always seeking God, always seeking God. Right? Well, let me tell you this. You ain't going to find God in some doctrine about a sin nature. Neither are you going to find God in some doctrine about spirit, soul, and body. You're not. Right? If you want to know the totality of what you need to know about spirit, soul, and body, this is the totality of it. Human beings have a spirit, they have a soul, and they have a body. Period. Okay, can we move on now? That's all it says in the scriptures about that. It is. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, you thought there were hundreds and hundreds of verses? Because we wax poetic for like weeks and months and years? Over that kind of a thing? I'm sorry, guys. You guys know me, my sarcasm. Thank you for loving me in, in light of my sarcasm. Thank you for, for seeing uh, my heart. The, the Apostle Paul never taught the problem for man is a sin nature. He never taught that. You can't find it anywhere in the scriptures. He never said we inherited a sin nature from Adam. That's not what he, he never said that. He says in Romans 5, this is what he says that we got from Adam. And the church would, co would come a long way in just understanding what did Adam bring into the earth and how did it impact us? Because then we'd understand what the solution is. And our minds would be filled with the solution instead of our minds being filled with what Adam brought into the earth. But this is what Paul says in Romans 5. He says, by one man, Adam, death entered the earth and death reigned over all. That's what he said. Just to simplify it real easily, 
The root of everything that ails your life is death. Period. 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 When you understand that, you know what starts to happen? You stop looking to things for the solution that can't overcome death. <laughs> and you stop thinking the solution is found in things that can't overcome death. And you become like a horse that has the blinders on. And instead of ever learning, looking everywhere for solutions, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth, man, you run the race that is set before you. Like Paul said, like the horse runs the race that's set before them because it has blinders on its head. And what does it see? It's got tunnel vision. And so when you start to see what the problem was is, is that it was death and the root of everything you feel and see in your life that you don't like, that you think is wrong, the father of all of it is death. You stop looking over here for this doctrine or over there for that doctrine and you stop ever learning and you start to come into the knowledge of the truth and you get blinders on and you get tunnel vision and your mind gets fixed on the word of a life that overcame death in the flesh. And you start spending your time talking with God about that, looking at that, meditating on that, singing about that, talking with one another about that, prophesying to one another about that. And guess what? You know what happens? You start finding that which is perfect is come and manifested in you the love of God. <laughs> right? And you find your life healed from everything that ailed you. Believing that your spirit, man, is made perfect ain't going to heal you. It's not. It's going to bring more death. That's exactly right. So Paul never taught the problem was a sin nature. He never said that. But we got lots of smart people that figured out what Paul really meant and told us. As if Paul can't speak for himself. Right? Now we got the gospel according to Augustine. We got the gospel according to Calvin. We got the gospel according to our favorite preacher that isn't an apostle or a prophet. And we've lived our lives and built our lives upon the foundation of dung, wood, hay, and stubble. Right? So he says... The problem that we inherited from Adam is that by one man, Adam, death reigned over all. In Romans 3, do you know, what, you know how he describes our problem? He says we all have fallen short. We've all missed the mark of possessing immortality in our bodies. That's what it means to fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is his life. We see the glory of God manifested inside of the flesh of the man, Jesus Christ. He didn't miss the mark. He didn't fall short of the glory of God. He inherited the immortality of God in his body. Here's the Apostle Paul telling us the problem unequivocally. And he keeps telling us. But no, 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 forget what Paul says. He's some crazy guy. We don't even know if he preached what Jesus preached. Listen, man, if you don't think Paul and Jesus preached the same thing, you neither understand what Jesus said or what Paul said. Jesus was a grace preacher. Jesus is the greatest grace preacher that ever lived. If you're in the place where you're trying to define what Jesus said in the Old Testament by carnal commandments, you don't understand what he said. And if you think Paul come and taught something different than what Jesus taught, you don't understand what Paul taught. And that's okay, but at least see you're there and stop and say, Lord, I desire to understand. Right? And you know what God will first come and tell you? Throw everything that Calvin said in the garbage can. Throw everything Augustine said in the garbage can. Because the foundation of the church is built on the apostles and the prophets. It's built on the letters that Paul and James and those guys wrote and what they said. In Romans 7, Paul's still talking about the problem. You, you haven't heard me quote sin nature yet, have you? Still talking about the problem. Who shall save me from this sin nature? No. 
Who shall save me from this body of death? This is the Apostle Paul, the one who saw so much, who knew so much, that even the other Apostle Peter said, we don't understand everything Paul says, but we know it's Scripture. Paul's, Paul's telling us what the problem is. Who shall save me from this dying flesh I'm clothed in? Paul is trying to tell you he sees what the problem is. And he's trying to tell you this is what is negatively affecting him. This. Who shall save me from the dying flesh that I'm clothed in? Paul goes on to say, as I mentioned at the beginning, he says to be carnally minded is death. Doesn't say anything about a sin nature. Carnally minded. He says the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's the carnal mind, it's the wisdom that is of the world that can't comprehend God, not a mythical sin nature. If you want to stand in your room and fight something that isn't there, keep thinking that your problem was a sin nature. Right? So where did the idea of a sin nature come from? Right? I don't know if you guys realize this. This, this you know, I, I digress. But the world suffers under the hands of people who exalt themselves as experts. And it isn't just in the world, right? The world has long since suffered at the hands of people who describe themselves as experts. And the church is no different. The church has suffered at the hands of people who have described themselves as experts. And they've come and taught things that they don't know what they're talking about. And so where did the idea of a sin nature come from? And what's happened is, well-intentioned people, I'm not suggesting these people aren't well-intentioned. It's not that we need to get pitchforks and torches, and we need to go to their house, and we need to attack them. That's not what I'm saying, but let us understand that they don't understand, okay? I, I find the funniest thing in my life is ever since I was a little boy, I never believed anybody knew what they were talking about. You can ask my parents, it's true. I remember being like eight years old and the principal at a school trying to teach me, they don't know what he's talking about. Now, listen, there were times when I was growing up that, that that didn't look like it was helping me sometimes, right? But as I grow older, it did help me because it left me in the place where I only heard from God. It left me in the place where I saw there's one who knows. It ain't me either. It's God, right? That's the healthiest place to be. God knows, and that's what was working in me. So well-intentioned people that don't really understand the gospel, what they did is they took the phrase that Paul uses, in the flesh and after the flesh. Right? And they took that and they came up with the idea of a sin nature. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. He mentions in the flesh and after the flesh. And they took that and they changed that word into sin nature. You can read it in the New International Version of the Bible. They changed the word to sin nature. Well, that's not what the word actually is. And that's not what, Paul, what Paul's talking about. If you keep reading Paul, Paul will define his own terminology. Because if you keep reading after he uses the term in the flesh and after the flesh, he goes on to define what he's talking about when he says that, when he brings up the carnal mind. He tells you what he's talking about. I'm talking about the carnal mind. When I talk about being in the flesh or after the flesh, I'm talking about dwelling in the carnal mind. So he defines in the flesh as being carnally minded. Right? And then, he, and then what he does in Romans 7 and 8 is he describes in great detail how the carnal mind got it right to enslave mankind to sin. 
He goes into great detail about it. He plops his life out on a table and he says, look, let's look at this dynamic in my life. Let's look at what death did to me. You want to know what death did to me? Death brought something forth called the carnal mind. And then the carnal mind enslaved me to sin because it blinded me to the love of God. And it blinded me to the fact that God was with me to be the shepherd and bishop of my life. It left me in the place where I thought I was a lamb left in the world to be led away to the slaughter. It left me in the place where I thought I was an orphan in the earth and that I didn't have a father to clothe upon me with life. That's where it left me. That's the problem. Paul's given a detailed description of Romans 7 and 8 about what tormented him, how it got it right to torment him, the way it confused him, and then he explains in detail how the gospel set him free or how God set him free from that. He goes into great detail to explain these things. So where does the carnal mind come from? What is its origin? Right? Now, this ain't going to be like some sin nature thing where I tell you the problem is the carnal mind. Well, we don't know what it is. We don't know where it came from. We certainly don't know how it works. And by the way, you'll probably never be free from it. Only your spirit man's been made perfect. And you'll just have to wait because your body, you know, you hadn't been sanctified wholly. You haven't been sanctified completely. You're, it's just your spirit man. This isn't going to be like that. I'm going to explain it in great detail. So what, where does the carnal mind come from? What is its origin? How did it end up here? Is it like an alien? I mean, is this like an episode of Ancient Aliens? <laughs> it's just an interesting thing in our society, right? It's just a funny meme. Glory to God. So, this is where the, the carnal mind comes from. And the Apostle Paul tells us this when he says, Who shall save me from this dying flesh? Who shall save me from this body of death? Who shall save me from the effect that the death Adam brought into the world is having on me? Who will restore my sight? Because this death that came into the world by Adam has blinded me to God. I can't see God. I can't comprehend God. And all the thoughts I find that are being born in me, they're actually contrary to the thoughts God has in himself. So I'm never knowing God. How is this going to happen? And so the carnal mind comes from death. That's where it comes from. Death is the father of the carnal mind. Death is what gives birth to the carnal mind. Right? What you could say is that death is the root of the carnal mind. Or if you think of a seed, right? Death is the seed that sprouted the carnal mind. Now, a mind is something that reasons. A mind is something that is all the time reasoning and making conclusions about the things that it sees. Okay, so death fathered a certain way of thinking in the earth. It fathered a certain reasoning. It brought forth certain conclusions and certain thoughts about humans, about mankind, about God, and about our lives with God. It brought certain, certain things like that. And so if you read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, the Apostle Paul talks about an understanding or a mind that's been darkened and is ignorant. And so you can go pull up Ephesians 4, verse 18, and he says, he talks about an understanding that was darkened. And he talks about that it was ignorant of the truth, ignorant of God, unable to perceive God or know God. And then he goes on to say that this mind or this understanding was darkened and was ignorant because it was alienated from the life of God. 
It didn't see the life of God. It didn't see the promise of life. All it saw was death. All it could see is death. All it saw was darkness. And so its understanding was darkened by the death that it saw. And its understanding, its mind was ignorant of God because its mind was filled or stained with the death that it saw. If you read in the scriptures, darkness is synonymous with death. That's what it's talking about when it talks about darkness. It's synonymous with death. We'll bring up this verse next week. But if you read Isaiah chapter 9, it says the people were walking in darkness. And then it says the darkness they were walking in is death. It says they were in a land that was shadowed with death. And that was the darkness they were walking in. The death that entered the world was darkness over the land. And so that's what walking in darkness means. It means to walk in death. It means for your eyes and your mind and your heart to be filled with the death that you see in the earth. And that will make you blind to God and the life that God has in himself. So darkness is talking about death. So the carnal mind is a mind that's been darkened with death. Right? And if you want to look at the origin of the carnal mind beyond just death, the carnal mind came into existence. When did it come into existence? When, when did this thing happen? The carnal mind came into existence when Satan was envious of the life that God gave to mankind. That's when the carnal mind came into existence. He saw himself as being alienated from the life he needed. The life I need. The life that is right for me to have. That which can satisfy my desire for life. That is the life God gave to these humans. And now he saw he was separated or alienated from the life he said he needed or the life he said he should have. And so that darkened his understanding. What it did was he was filled with ignorance. And if you read in the scriptures, it describes a tree in the midst of the Garden of Eden when it talks about Satan. And you know what it says about Satan when he was in the midst of the Garden of Eden? It says he corrupted his wisdom. It says his wisdom was corrupted. And so what it's saying there is a wisdom came forth from this Satan. And the wisdom that came forth from this Satan is because he saw the life God promised mankind. He saw that God emptied himself, offered mankind everything that he is, and Satan immediately felt alienated from the life he should have. That's called death. He immediately felt death. And then his understanding became darkened by the death he felt. And he immediately became ignorant of God and the wisdom of God. And it says in Ezekiel that he looked at the river from where he received his life and he rejected the river. And it says, he said, I will exalt myself above the stars of heaven by the strength of my own hand. See how the death he felt when he saw that he was alienated from the life he said he should have, that death that he felt darkened his understanding. And what it gave birth to in him was the idea that I'm going to attain to the life that's right for me to have by my ability to gather life to myself. I'm going to make a big pile of all the beautiful things I can gather to myself, and then I'm going to climb up the big pile and stand there, and then I'll be righteous. So all of his thoughts, do you see how all of his thoughts were born from the idea that he didn't have the life that he should have or that he needed to have? All of his thoughts were born from death. All of his thoughts were born from what he lacked. All of his reasoning, 
all of his conclusions were born from the lack he felt. What do you think he thought about God the moment he thought God gave to man what should have been his? You think he felt happy about God? Well, but we know God's only good. And so if you look at God and can't see that he's only good, what it means is that you're blind. It means you can't see God. It means you can't comprehend him. You can't comprehend the goodness in his heart towards you. You can't comprehend the love that's in his heart for you. And so Satan became blind to God. He became ignorant. His understanding was darkened by the death he saw. And that gave birth to the idea of, I will have life by my own strength. It gave birth to lust in his heart, where he said, I'm going to attain to life. Forget the river. That river ain't giving me the life that I need. And that God who is the river ain't good. He's not right. I'm going to give myself life. And so the place the carnal mind reasons from is death. That's where it builds its logic. Death. Right? It's the eye through which it sees everything is darkened by the death that's in the world. It builds all of its thoughts and all of its conclusions about mankind and God and life all the things it thinks about those things are all built on the death and the fruit of death that it sees. That's where all its judgments come from. Death. Right? So if you're stopping and you're weighing your life in the balance, what are you using as the foundation from where you're weighing your life? Is it the death you see all around you? Is it the weakness you perceive in the world or all around you? Or is it the life you see that God has in himself that he got it right to deposit in you? Where are you reasoning from when you think of your life? And so that's the carnal mind. All of its judgments and conclusions about everything are filtered through the death and the lack and the corruption it sees. Everything is filtered through that. That becomes its sight. Lack becomes its sight. You ever felt angry with God when you thought your life was going wrong? You ever felt angry with God and felt like God wasn't with you, that God wasn't doing what he needed to do when things were going wrong in your life? You know why you felt that way? Because you were looking at the death you saw and you were building your idea about whether God was there and whether he was giving you the life that you need. You were building all your thoughts and conclusions about God and your life on the weakness and the death you saw instead of the life you saw that he manifested inside of the man Jesus to conquer death. Because I promise you, when you encounter death in the world, if your thoughts and your conclusions about what you see is built on the life that manifested in the man Jesus that overcame death, you'll never conclude God isn't with you. And you'll never conclude that he hasn't given you what you need to have life. You'll never think like that. You'll always see God is Papa. God is Abba. God is with me. God is the shepherd and the bishop of my soul. And you'll immediately see that God has condemned the death that was condemning you. But if the place you reason from about your life and about God is the death you see, what will happen is, is you'll say, God isn't as he ought to be, and neither am I. <laughs> the Gospel of John. What does it say about Jesus? It says, in Jesus is life. And what does it say about that? So in Jesus is life, and it says, in the life was a light to all people. A light to all people. Do you know what a light does? It makes it to where you can see. And so we'll talk about this in great detail next week. But what it's talking about there is the life that manifested in Jesus opens our eyes to the love of God. 
It, we couldn't see that God loved us. We couldn't see he was with us to conquer death. All we could see was the death in the world, and we judged God by the death we saw, and we judged ourselves by the death we saw, and we judged what he thought about us by the death that we saw. We were blind to God with us. We were blind to the love he felt in his heart for us. But then God manifested his life inside of the dying flesh of this man, Jesus. And a great light shined in the midst of the land that was covered in darkness. And that light opened our eyes so we could see God with us. You think God ain't with you when you see death? Well, God got nailed to the tree to conquer the death that you think is telling you he ain't there. You want to know if God's with you when you feel like you're being nailed to the cross? You'll start seeing God was nailed to the cross. You'll see God with you. The next thing you'll see is God overcoming the grave. The next thing you'll see is that the stone's been rolled away. The next thing you see is that death can't hold you. You'll start to see it's not possible for death to hold me. You'll start to see God with you, intertwined with you, so closely braided together with you that every breath you breathe, you're saying, Abba. And every breath you take in is the very spirit of his life. So just like the life that manifested in Jesus, was the, a light that opened our eyes to the love of God. Light, remember, light and life, synonymous. Death and darkness. So contrarywise, in the world is death. And that death darkened everyone's understanding about God and what is in his heart for all people, especially sinners. You know why we turned the word sinner into some type of identity thing? As if the word sinner meant that you're disgusting to God. As if the word sinner meant that you're not beautiful to God. You know, I preached about this in Myrtle Beach, but I, told the, I read Ezekiel, and it says that God walked by us when we were in our blood, and his heart said, behold, it's the time of love. And you know what I told the people? You want to know what it looks like to be polluted in your own blood? You want to know what it looks like when God said it was the time of love? Go look at Jesus nailed to the cross. That's what we looked like. We looked like that. The gospel is God walking by us, and when he saw us like that, his heart said, it's the time for love. And so sinners is not a word that you're ugly to God. Sinners is not a word that you are despicable and disgusting to God. Sinner just means that you need life. And you've missed the mark of possessing life. And so just like the light in Jesus' life, and that life was the light in the world, opening our eyes to the love of God, in the world is death. And that death darkened everyone's understanding about God and the love in God's heart, especially the love he feels for sinners, right? No, no, God can't love sinners. Look at it. You know, the only way you can come to the conclusion that God doesn't love sinners is if you're judging God's heart by the death you see in them. That's the only way you can come to that conclusion. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, if you listen to people who say they don't believe in God, why do they say they don't believe in God? I guarantee you a long list of all the things they see wrong in the world is coming after. Why don't, how could there be a God? Look at all this death. Look at all this tribulation. Look at all this corruption. How can there be a God? You see, they're reasoning from the death that entered the world by one man, Adam, instead of reasoning from the life that entered the world through one man, Jesus. You want to know how we know there's a God? Because when we were in the midst of death tormenting us and beating us and bruising us, God showed up in Jesus and conquered death. 
And so you don't reason from the death you see. You reason from the life that overcame death that manifested in Jesus. That's how you'll see God. Mm. And so people that say they don't believe God in God, what's happening is they're building their understanding on the death and the lack they see in the world. That's where all their thoughts are coming from. So when they think of, is there God? They're reasoning from death. Death is the building block of their thoughts, the root, the seed, instead of the life that manifested in Jesus as the building block. Okay? Now, when we look at Adam, when Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happened to Adam? Did he get a sin nature? I don't see that in the scripture. Adam, when you eat from the tree, you'll get a sin nature. You guys see that anywhere? When you eat from the tree, Adam, you'll die, it says. A tree will serve you with death. When Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happened is sin found an opportunity to manifest death in his body. Right? And then all of a sudden, Adam's conscience became stained with death. When you want to look at the, the book of Hebrews, and it talks about our conscience being purged. I mean, yeah, you could say your conscience is purged from guilt if you had a wrong understanding of everything. But that's not what it's talking about your conscience being purged from. It's not talking about your conscience being purged from being a bad little boy or a bad little girl. That's the kind of doctrine we built when we thought the sin nature was the problem. When the book of Hebrews talks about your conscience being purged by the blood of Jesus, what it's talking about your conscience being purged from is the death that entered the world. It's talking about your conscience being cleansed from death where you're no longer reasoning from the death you see in the world because you saw the blood run out of the body of sin or the body of death in Jesus on the cross. And so your conscience is cleansed from death. And you no longer view life through the lens of death, but you start viewing life through the lens of an indestructible life, the indestructible life that Jesus has in himself. So when Adam ate from the tree, his conscience became stained with death, and all he could see... And all the things he considered was the deadness he saw in his body and all around him. And so death became exalted in his eyes. Death became lifted up in his heart. You could say death became his God. You could say death became his Lord. Death was his Lord, so to speak. He lived by every word that death spoke to him. He, his whole logic was formulated from the death he saw in himself and the death he saw all around him. That was everything that he lived by. Every edict that death spoke, that's what he lived by. The word that death spoke became flesh in him. All of his steps became ordered by the death that he saw. That's what happened with Adam. That's what, start, what he started doing. To use the Apostle Paul's words to try to bring Romans into this. Adam was in the flesh. He was in the flesh. Do you, do you see what it, what it means to be in the flesh? His mind was filled with the death he saw in himself and the death he saw around him. That's what it means to be in the flesh. He didn't discern the deadness he saw in himself through God or the love of God for him. He didn't discern the death he saw in himself through the promise of life God made to him, he didn't look at the death that he saw and say, yes, but God has promised me life. He didn't look at the death that he saw and say, yes, but God got down on one knee in adoration of me and he promised me that he would make me fruitful. He didn't think like that, right? That's not what he saw. 
He didn't build him, his thoughts about God and God's heart for him on the promise of life. He didn't build his thoughts or his thoughts about God and himself on the fact that God blessed him and got down on one knee. His, all of his understanding about himself and God's thoughts and God's intentions towards him were darkened by the deadness he saw. His understanding became darkened. All of a sudden, I'm alienated from the life of God. Look at this death. And then that death filled his understanding with all of his thoughts and conclusions. That's what happened to him. You guys following that? And what do you think that death did to his thoughts and conclusions? Like, what do you think? I mean, how do you guys feel about yourself when you see death? Do you feel like you're a champion? Do you feel like you're a rock star? And so when Adam saw deadness in his body, the carnal mind, which is born from death, which is fathered, which death is the father of, the carnal mind judged Adam as evil. So Adam began seeing himself as evil. The death he saw in his body worked condemnation in his heart. And his heart judged him by the death he saw. And he can only come to one conclusion, I'm evil. And then that death that he saw in his body, what happened is the carnal mind also judged God's thoughts and intents towards him as evil. The carnal mind told Adam God was ashamed of him because of the death in his life. God was ashamed of him because of all the fruit of death he saw. That's what the carnal mind started telling Adam, that God was angry with him because of his sin, that God abandoned him, that God had left him as an orphan in the earth, needing to care for his own life. Do you see how death fathered all those thoughts? Do you know what convinced man they were orphans? Death. Mankind was never orphans. We were never orphans. Jesus himself come and said, Isaiah, he quotes Isaiah, and he said, we've well, forgotten the rock from which you were hewn. He didn't say we weren't hewn from the rock. He said we forgot it. You know what caused us for, to forget it? Death. And so the carnal mind is born from death. And that carnal mind told Adam all these things. You're an orphan. And so Adam couldn't comprehend God. What it means that he couldn't comprehend God is that he was blinded to the fact that God was there. He was blinded to the fact that it was God's good pleasure to clothe him with life. He was blinded to the promise. He couldn't see the promise anymore. He couldn't see that God's heart was only filled with loving kindness towards him. He couldn't see that even though he was dead in sin, that God's heart was still to clothe him, that God was still there with him, that God was only ever able to be good to him. He couldn't see that anymore. And so that's why Paul would come and say the conclusions of the carnal mind are enmity against God. They're in opposition to God's own thoughts. And they're in opposition to the goodness that was in God's heart towards Adam. We know they were in opposition because the carnal mind come and told Adam, remember the carnal mind is a mind that's been born from death. And that mind told Adam, you're all alone. God isn't here. You're an orphan. What are you going to do? You got to clothe yourself. That's why we see Adam trying to clothe himself. Well, we know that was in opposition to God's own thoughts because didn't God show up? Didn't God show up to clothe Adam? So what do you think God's thoughts were filled with? That, you think God was thinking, I'm, not, I'm no longer the father of Adam? You think God was thinking Adam was an orphan? 
You think God was thinking that Adam was disgusting? You think that God was thinking that Adam was ugly? Well, that's what the carnal mind told Adam. But it was in opposition and contrary to the very thoughts that God was having in himself. And so that's why Paul would come and say the carnal mind is enmity against God. And Paul also said to be carnally minded is death. Well, how is to be carnally minded is death? Well, we'll get into that. The carnal mind was death unto Adam. We'll just keep looking at Adam. How was the carnal mind death unto Adam? Well, let's see. The reason it was death unto Adam is because the result of the carnal mind being in him was he didn't cry out to the one whose heart was to clothe him. He couldn't see that God was with him to be the shepherd of his life. And because he didn't see God was there with him to be the shepherd of his life, he didn't think he had a shepherd. And he didn't look to the one who could save him from the body of death. And then you read in Peter, it says that Jesus looked to the shepherd and bishop of his soul when he was naked, nailed to the tree. Do you know why? Jesus didn't have the carnal mind. He didn't reason about himself or God from the death he saw there. But he reasoned about himself and God from the promise of life that God made to him. I will not suffer my Holy One to see corruption. Neither will I leave him in hell. That's where Jesus reasoned from. And so Adam couldn't see God was with him. And because he couldn't see God was with him, he didn't look to the one who was the shepherd and bishop of his life. And as a result of that, what happened was Adam's mind was filled with his own works. His mind was filled with his own strength to try to clothe himself. Because after all, God's not there. But God is there. He's just blind because of death. And so as a result of Adam's mind being filled with his own works, because he couldn't see that the work of God would clothe him, as a result of that, what happened was Adam was decorated in thorns and thistles. And he was decorated in the fruit of death. Because within his own strength is not the ability to produce life. And so that's how the carnal mind resulted in death and the fruit of death in Adam. He stood in the condemnation of death because the carnal mind told him God ain't there. And if God ain't there, what are you going to do? If you're alienated from the life of God and you're in death and you're blind to God being there, what do you think you're left with? Laboring to give yourself life. This is an interesting thing. But you know one of the, the meanings of the word carnal in the Greek, in Romans 8? It's a perishable human body. Leave out the mind part, because the mind is a different word that comes in. The word carnal speaks of the fallen body of man, the earthy, corruptible body of man. It speaks of the body of sin, which, which makes sense because if you read, Paul was just talking about the body of sin in Romans 5 and 6. I think it's Romans 6. He talks about the body of sin. And so now he starts talking about the carnal mind. And so carnal speaks of the body of sin or the body that man built by the works of their own hands. It speaks of the body that's dying. The body that derives its life from its bones working to produce blood. That's what carnal speaks of, this perishable body. And you, so, so then you add mind to the end of that. Do you know what carnal mind is? A mind that's stained with the deadness it sees in its body. A mind that's stained with the deadness it sees in the world around it. That's the carnal mind. 
that blinds you to God. You don't see him with you. That's why when things are going wrong for you, you feel the thought, where's God? God's omnipresent. Do you think there's anywhere God isn't? I mean, listen, if you believed on Jesus, God's inside of you. Yet there's times we find ourselves thinking God's not there. But God's so close to you that you can't even make out a difference between you and God. Yet when we see death, somehow we find ourselves thinking, where's God? And it's because of the carnal mind. The carnal mind convinces you God isn't there because the carnal mind is a mind that's filled with the death that it sees instead of the life that God brought into the earth through Jesus. Right? And so the carnal mind makes all of its judgments according to the corruption it sees in the flesh. And this might take people a while to go back and, and sort out. But that's why Jesus says he judges no one according to the flesh. He's not just talking about any flesh. I mean, listen, guys, this might throw you guys off, but I live every day of my life in this world judging myself and God by what I see in the flesh of the man Jesus. So I am making a judgment that's after some flesh. It's just not a judgment that's after corruptible flesh. It's a judgment that's after incorruptible flesh. And so the carnal mind makes all of its judgments on the corruptible flesh that it sees, the death that it sees in the world. And so that's what it means not to judge anyone according to the flesh. It's about not judging yourself or God according to the deadness you see in the world. That's what it means not to judge anyone according to the flesh. He didn't look at the woman caught in adultery and judge her by the fruit of death he saw in her life. Neither did he judge God's love for her by the fruit of death he saw in her life. You know what he did? He judged her by the fact that we, God promised her life. And he judged God's thoughts for her by the fact God promised her life. And so you know what he felt inside for her? Love. Do you know what the Pharisees were judging the woman caught in adultery by? The fruit of death they saw. If you notice, right after the account of the woman caught in adultery, Jesus talks about how he came to heal the blind. And he talks about how he came to show that those who saw were actually the blind ones. Those who thought they saw, which were the Pharisees, they were the ones who were blind. They didn't see because they were reasoning from the fruit of death they saw in that woman. And they were building all their thoughts about that woman and all their thoughts about what God thought about that woman from the death they saw in her body. And Jesus said, they think they see. I'm coming to reveal to them that their understanding is actually darkened by death. I'm coming to reveal to them that they're actually blind because they can't comprehend God. Because you can't comprehend God if you build your logic about God from the death that you see. And what he did was he revealed that those who don't see or who the world says don't see, he's going to restore their sight because they're going to see God. Jesus saw that woman. He saw death there. But he didn't judge her by the death he saw in her. He judged her by the promise of life that God made when he got down on one knee and promised Adam he would make him fruitful. And he said, well, this means God loves her and it means God's with her. Oh, I'm God. Here I am. What does he do? Heals her. That opened her eyes. 
You see? Does that make any sense? So to, 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 re, to recap this, and you could say a bunch of things about this. Isaiah 53. There's, there are examples throughout the whole Bible. Isaiah 53 says that we esteem Jesus smitten and stricken by God. It says we looked at the death that came upon him. We saw him on the cross. We saw the death that was in him. And we judged him by the death we saw. And we also judged God by the death we saw in him. And do you know what we said? He's the forsaken of God. And the reason we came to that conclusion was because of the death that was on him. And we also said that God isn't with him. And the reason we came to that conclusion was because of the death that we saw. If you look at Abraham, Genesis 15, it says the word of the Lord came to Abraham, or Abram. He was still Abram at the time. It says the word of the Lord came to Abram and said, Abram, I am your exceedingly great reward. I am your shield and your buckler. And you know what Abraham said? What shall you give me, Lord, seeing I have no heir? Do you see, Abraham was reasoning from the deadness he saw in his body and not from the promise God made. And so he immediately judged God and God's ability to give him life by the deadness he saw. Sarah, when, when Sarah heard that they were going to conceive, she says she laughed. Do you know why she laughed? Because when she thought about conceiving, she built her logic on the death she saw instead of the life that can even raise the dead. She wouldn't have laughed if when she started thinking about whether she could conceive or not, if she started considering the life that is in God, she wouldn't have laughed. She would have said, I will conceive not one but many. You see where she was building her logic from? She was thinking with the carnal mind. She first, she heard what God said, and then she saw her deadness. And then she built her, her understanding and her thoughts around the deadness she saw instead of God. And so that's why the carnal mind cannot comprehend God. It cannot see God. The carnal mind is blind. Its eye is full of darkness, so it's blind to the loving kindness in God's heart for sinners. Its eye is full of death. So it can't see that God is the good shepherd and that God is there to clothe with the life of his lamb. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's filled with thoughts that are in opposition to God's own thoughts. Whereas God is thinking, I will prepare a table of life for you. I will hedge you about with my life. The carnal mind sees the death and thinks that the death is a sign that God has abhorred them in their affliction. Right? If you notice, the carnal mind at the beginning of Psalm 22 is talking about the death that surrounded them. And the conclusion of the carnal mind would be, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then if you keep reading, the spiritual mind comes out and says, you have not abhorred the affliction of the afflicted one. Neither is your face hid from him, but you hear him when he cries out to you. And then it goes on to say in Psalm 23, you prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. And so God's thinking, I'm going to prepare a table of life for you in the midst of this death that surrounded you. The carnal mind says, this death is a sign God's abhorred me. The death blinded them to God there working to prepare a table. When God's thoughts are filled with the work that he will do to serve you with life, the carnal mind is filled with the work that it can do to attain to life itself. Why? Because it doesn't see God there to do a work. 
The most powerful thing that's happened in my life is I have eyes to see God with me now everywhere. Everywhere. I don't need death to be gone to feel God. And what I realized is when I needed death to be gone to experience God, that wasn't God I was experiencing. That was the life the world had to offer. The wisdom of the world can't know God, it says. It says the world through its own wisdom knoweth not God. One of the things that it means there is to perceive God. But another thing that it's talking about there is that the world through its own wisdom can't experience the love of God. And what is the world's wisdom? That it's according to the strength of the flesh. It's according to seeing life manifested in your flesh. It's according to seeing the life that the world has to offer you manifested in your flesh. That's why it says the strong, the noble, the wise according to the world. The world thinks the way to know God or experience his love is for you to attain to the good the world has. To be carnally minded is death. The carnal mind results in death. Because if you can't see God with you to only be good to you, to only ever exalt your life above the death in the world, what will happen is your mind will be filled with your own works. And you're going to start trying to serve yourself with life. And you're going to start trying to serve yourself with peace and love and joy. And since you don't have life in yourself, that's going to leave you covered in thorns and thistles. And that will leave you left. That will, you'll be left standing in the condemnation of death. That's why to be carnally minded is death. To not see God with you, to serve you with life, will result in death manifesting because you'll try to bring forth life yourself, just like Adam did. And so we'll, we'll finish with the, the Apostle Paul, because he describes this dynamic in Romans 7 and 8. He's describing this, and he's showing how it played out in front of him. And so Paul, Paul describes a dynamic where he couldn't comprehend that God was there with him. He couldn't comprehend that God would be the shepherd and bishop of his life. He couldn't comprehend the goodness in God's heart for him. All he considered was the body of death that he sees. He saw the body of death that he was clothed in, and he built his logic about whether God was with him on the death that he saw in his body. And what he did was, is he said, God isn't with me. God isn't here to give me the life that I need. And he saw the life of God. He saw the fruit of God's life, and he agreed that it was good. But because he beheld the body of death that he had, because he built his understanding, standing on the death he saw in his body instead of the promise of life he wanted the life of God but his heart told him God ain't there to serve it to you and so what he did then was he started trying to serve himself with that life and the more he tried to serve himself with the life of God the more he found he couldn't give himself life and that left him in the place where he wasn't comprehending God and all of his thoughts were enmity against God where he was thinking God wasn't there God was thinking Paul here I am And that left him in the place where he said, Oh, wretched men that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? You see, the problem is this death. And this death, this death, body of death I'm clothed in, it darkened my eyes. It blinded me to where I couldn't see God there. But I could see God's life. And I wanted God's life more than anything. But because I couldn't see God was there to serve me with the life, I started trying to prepare myself a table. And the more I tried to prepare myself a table, the more there was no table there. And the more I was decorated in the fruit of death, who will save me from this body of death, oh wretched man that I am? Then he goes on to say, I thank God for what he did to come and condemn death in the flesh of Jesus. So Paul's describing when he was carnally minded. This carnal mind that was filled with my own works, 
It came from the death I saw in myself. And I needed to be set free from my blindness. And the way I was set free from my blindness was that God showed up in Jesus and condemned death in the flesh. And when I saw the life of God overcome death in the flesh, it popped open my sight. If you notice Paul on the road to Damascus, what happened to him when he saw Jesus? Blindness. It's not that God made Paul blind. It's that he was already blind and his blindness manifested. And so Paul said, I was blind to God. But then God showed up when I was carnally minded. And when that was working death in me, and I thought that I was an orphan in the earth that didn't have anyone to father my life, God showed up in Jesus and saved me. That's how it destroyed the carnal mind. And we'll go and we'll, we'll talk about it next week. But, but guys, listen, you, you can't set yourselves free from the carnal mind. Paul's not describing how he set himself free. He's talking about how his conscience was washed clean from death by beholding God manifesting his life in Jesus. And that washed his conscience clean from death. And when he no longer considered the deadness in his body, but he considered the life that was in God, his eyes became opened and he saw God with him. That set him free from the carnal mind. The carnal mind is not a figment of the imagination. We can't be free by saying death isn't real. You ain't going to be free by saying death ain't real. That's not going to set you free. We can't be free by saying we're going to live forever as spirits in heaven. Because you'll still see death in your flesh. And your flesh will say, what about me? I don't want to be a spirit in heaven. <laughs> right? We can't be set free by saying our spirit man is perfect. There's only one thing that can set us free from the carnal mind. It's to see God having overcome death inside of the body of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can set us free from the carnal mind. And next week we'll, we'll look at that. And we'll look at Isaiah. And it talks about how a great light shined in the land where darkness was dwelling. And we'll talk about what that's talking about. Because it says in Jesus was life. And that light popped open our eyes to where we could see it. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, that you heal the, the blind. Thank you, Father, that uh, you could see the problem even when we couldn't see the problem. Thank you, Father, that even in our ignorance, you come and gathered us to yourself, that you come to heal our blindness, that you come to pop open our eyes so that we could see that uh, the problem was death and that the death in the world convinced us that you weren't there. Thank you, Father, for showing up and conquering death in the flesh so that our eyes could be opened to the fact that you are here with us and you're not just here indifferently, but that your heart is filled with loving kindness towards us. Thank you, Father, that uh, you made yourself real to us and that we could live by the life we see in you and that we could live by the promise you've made to us instead of living by the death we see in the world. Thank you, Father, that the same thing Paul said about Abraham that Abraham got to the place where he didn't consider the deadness he saw in his own body, but he considered the life you had. I thank you, Father, that you're leading us into that place where we no longer consider the deadness we see, but we consider the life that we see in you. And we see that life that's in you making everything straight 
in our hearts, making everything straight in our bodies. I thank you, Father, that your life is greater than the weakness of our flesh. I thank you, Father, that even right now, as there's weakness manifesting in some of our bodies, Lord, that your life is greater than the weakness in our bodies. I thank you, Father, that your life makes strong our bodies, that your life right now stand up inside of our bodies and make our bodies whole in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father that your life be made manifest in our bodies, that any weakness that's manifesting in our bodies be removed as far as the east is from the west, that our bodies be upheld by your right hand, by your Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much.